0: Well, good evening, congregation, and welcome to the Church of Our God this Lord's Day evening. We're very happy to have you all here with us as we've gathered together to celebrate our faith. Now, I must admit that I don't have my sermon memorized, and before I came here, I thought I put my binder on the pulpit. Did somebody perhaps move it on me? Um, Otherwise, we'll be going off the top of my head, which may not be what we would like I think I have Reverend Barnes notes here, but these are not my notes. Give me one moment. My memory is failing and I'm only 28. (laughs) It's good to be with you again this Lord's Day evening. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God, for His name is great. And greatly to be praised. At this point in time, we're going to hear God's call to worship from Psalm 73. And then afterwards, we'll have a moment of silent prayer. God calls us into His presence this evening with these words from Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of of the wicked but behold those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you but for me it is good to be near unto my God for I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works let's go to the Lord now in a time of silent prayer Would you stand this evening for God's greeting? We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of the heavens and the earth. Congregation of God, lift up your hearts all the way to heaven and receive His greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ by the operation of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's remain standing if we're able. And let's turn in our Psalter hymnal this evening to number 140, a setting of Psalm 73. Oh God, how good thou art! We'll remain standing and sing all the stanzas of number 140. Remain standing and will confess our faith, faith once handed down throughout all the ages, the, with using the words of the Apostles' Creed, which can be found on page three in the back of the Psalter hymnal if you have need of it. Together with one voice, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit We'll continue on with the reading of the book of Psalms this Lord's Day evening, and we will turn in our Bibles to Psalm 133 together. We'll turn to page 659, where there is Psalm 133, which is a song of ascent, a song of David. And then afterwards, we'll together sing this psalm, how good and how pleasant is the sight. But first, we'll give our attention to the reading of Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. There's a psalm principally of unity. And notice it's unity in the family of God. It speaks specifically of brothers. That as the Jews would have ascended uh, that mount to get to Jerusalem, the psalmist is calling attention to the fact that the people the psalmist was walking with are actually his family. Even if that person spoke a different dialect of Hebrew or that other person had a darker skin color, the psalmist says, nay are my brothers. And there is that unity together in what is important. You know, Mount Hermon is not actually close to Mount Zion, but it was a place, a very lush place, a place of rains and waters and greenery and even sometimes when it got cold, Snow. And the psalmist is saying that blessing is something that comes down, like the oil running down the beard of Aaron, like dew comes down from heaven. And that when we have unity, it is a great blessing. But we have to be unified in what's right, don't we? We have to be unified in the blessing of the Lord. Even as we read partially from Psalm 73, the psalmist comes into the presence of God, he sees the sacrifices, and then he is reminded of God's blessing. We have unity as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the blessing from God in Christ. He is that great sacrifice. And should we have him, you and I are my brothers and my sisters. Well, let's unite our voices in singing number 278. From our Psalter hymnal, hymn number 278, How Good and Pleasant is the Sight, number 278, will remain seated and sing all the stanzas of number 278. Let's pray. God of Zion, what a privilege it is that we can not only come into your presence this evening, but that you delight to dwell in us. Your word tells us that we are your chosen and your precious temple, and that your spirit has made a home inside each and every one of the hearts who by faith trust in your son, the Lord Jesus. And the spirit is a seal of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that for those who have that faith in their hearts, who are trusting in Christ this evening, that there is a guarantee that you are working in us, and that you who have begun that good work will not abandon it, but that you will continue to work in our hearts until the day of Christ's appearing, when we shall see him, when we shall be made like him, and the sin is destroyed and the victory is completed in Christ Jesus our Lord. But until that day, we pray, O Father, that you would restore our hearts, you would renew our minds, you would refresh even our bodies in your spirit this Lord's Day evening. And Father, this evening as we have gathered together to once again gather around your word and to be encouraged by it, convicted and comforted, Father, we think of our dear brothers and sisters and the mission work around the world. We pray, Lord, that you would be with our missionaries wherever they may be found, and that you would bless them, bless them in the reading and the preaching of your word, and that unto the ends of the earth there might be lost sinners who are called to faith, to repentance, to life in the Lord Jesus. We even think that of the prayer needs, which were mentioned in our bulletin. We give you thanks that a pastor has been called to another congregation, a mission work in Southern California. We ask God your blessing on Reverend Lee Irons and his work there. and We pray, Lord, that through his ministry, his teaching and his preaching, that many people would come to know Jesus, that children would be baptized and catechized, and that through this humble means you would establish another congregation in the URCNA. Father, we even pray for our dear brother who is with us this evening, Reverend Paul Freswick. We thank you, Lord, that he's able to be here and worship with us as he is a son of this great state and the work that's been done here in western Michigan. We pray, Father, your blessing upon him and his labors there in Wisconsin, in And We pray, Lord, that the word would bear rich fruits through him, your dear servant. And Lord, also for us, we pray that you would show your salvation through each and every one of us. To our family, we pray that we would exhibit uh, that grace that you have wrought in our hearts. To our friends and our families, may by our godly walk, our neighbors be one to Christ. Our coworkers, may they see in us something different. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would prick their hearts so that they even come to us and ask, What is different about you? Why is there a joy that's unquenchable in your heart? Why is there hope in your life in a world of despair? And that you, through that, would give us the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And Father, we thank you that you grow your church, that your kingdom uh, is advancing here in western Michigan and in this congregation. And we know and we have seen throughout the ages that you have historically done this through the work of families and we thank you for the update in our bulletin that there are two young families who are expecting newborns we think this evening of Hannah and Tory and the babies that you have placed in their womb we ask that your hand of uh, blessing would rest upon them and that lord at the appointed time these babies would come to their families would come to this church at the right time we ask that they would be healthy We ask that they would come to us perfect, and we look forward to the day when the waters of baptism are applied to them, and we pray, Lord, that you would work faith in their little hearts, that they would embrace the God of their salvation, that they would have peace with God through Christ. Father, especially as we even come this evening to continue our study through Romans chapter 6, we pray that you would be with each and every one of us. We know that there are sins that we have struggled with this last week and even this day. We pray, Lord, that they would not be a hindrance to our receiving of the word. Many of us come tired or burnt out or struggling in some way. We pray that you would remove any hindrance from receiving the word from our hearts. Unstop our ears, open our eyes, and change our hearts so that we might receive the word in the fullness of its preaching. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand to sing once more our hymn of preparation from the Psalter hymnal 391. 391, Breathe on me, breath of God. We'll sing all the stanzas of hymn 391 from the Psalter hymnal. beloved congregation, let's turn once more to the the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6 this evening, continuing where we left off, and we're going to begin our reading in verse 14, all the way to the end of the chapter, under the heading of the question, remember Romans 6 is about two rhetorical questions, we'll read this under the heading of, who is your master, God, or sin? Who is your master from Romans chapter 6? Let's begin our reading in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Our Lord. This is the word of the Lord this evening. May we receive it with a believing heart. Well, blessed congregation, while I was studying in preparation for this sermon, I came across the story of a U.S. Air Force pilot who was captured and taken to prison in Hanoi during the war in Vietnam. As many of you know, the war in Vietnam was one of the more brutal wars. In our country's history and this pilot records that he was a prisoner of war for six years where he endured unimaginable horrors he records that he suffered a painful spinal fracture broken feet broken teeth kidney disease and of course torture where he says he wished for death But imagine with me this evening the joy that he and his fellow prisoners must have felt when, after six years, that plane carrying the POWs lifted off. The majority of these men, we're told, were kept in solitary confinement. Imagine the joy they must have had in seeing their wives' faces again or the faces of their friends. And then they were whisked off to a hospital where their ailments could be treated. The delight they must have felt in getting an American cheeseburger again or a slice of pizza. These men were and should continue to be regarded as heroes. But would we not regard them as fools if those prisoners of war decided to go back to Hanoi and back to prison. What would you think if one of these men said they preferred the brutal conditions of being a prisoner rather than the conditions of a hero? This is the kind of question we need to keep in the back of our minds as we consider Romans 6. For indeed, we too, we learned this morning, have been released from prison... We have been in bondage and oppression to sin and Satan and death, and yet we are tempted to go back to the dungeon, tempted to go back to slavery, like the Israelites in the wilderness after they were freed from Egypt, longed for the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlics, even though it meant going back to bondage. In Christ, we are justified. We learned this morning that we are free from the power of sin. Satan is no longer our master. Not free so that we can return to prison. But we have been freed so that we can serve our new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our theme for our time together this evening That slavery to righteousness replaces slavery to sin. Slavery to righteousness replaces slavery to sin. And I want to show you three things this evening. Slaves to something, we're all slaves to something, that there is a new master. And then we want to see thirdly, the slaves' wages. That we're slaves to something, we're given a new master, and the slaves' wages. So we looked this morning at the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6, and Paul ends with a curious statement, verse 14, that sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. When we speak of the law, we need to remember that the law demands perfect obedience. That if you want to be holy before God, or excuse me, if you want to stand before God, on the basis of the law, the Bible says you must be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. We see this in Leviticus 18.5, 1 Peter 1.16. The, the law demands perfection. And to fail in the law is to receive a quick and severe punishment. John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress has a wonderful illustration of this where the main character Faithful is, or one of the characters Faithful was describing that he was on the hill called Difficulty and a man as swift as the wind came and began to beat Faithful to a pulp. And Faithful cries out to the man, mercy, mercy, and Christian responds, that's Moses. He does not know, to how show, know how to show mercy to those who transgress his law. When Paul says we are not under the law, he's not saying that the law is no longer good or no longer useful, but we are no longer subject to the savage beatings of Moses. We are not trying to earn our way to heaven that its condemning power has been removed in Jesus Christ, not under the law, but under grace. And grace is not about your ability to perform. Grace is not about holding on to salvation. To be under grace is to accept the King of grace, to know there's room for repentance and the promise of pardon. So in verse 14, Paul is saying that the strict demands of the law Its condemnations and its curses have been removed in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Here's the next question. Verse 15. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Seems very similar to verse 1 but it changes oh so slightly. It's not about, does grace lead us to lawlessness? But now Paul is asking in verse 15 about the question of motivation. Without the law's condemnation, without the law's curse, why obey the law? Let's contextualize this this evening. Boys and girls, I have a question for you. Would you obey your parents' if they were never allowed to spank you? Parents, there'd be lawlessness, wouldn't there be? Here's another one for your parents. Mom and dad, if you never had to worry about being pulled over, would you go the speed limit? Gotcha. If the president said, I will pardon all of your crimes, if all you do is say sorry, there would be a lot more rule-breaking, right? Right? This is the question of verse 15. If we are not under the law, but under grace, what use does the law have at all? Why obey the Ten Commandments at all? Many Christians have questions like this. Do we have to pray? Do we have to read our Bibles? What is the motivation for the Christian life? And did you notice in this passage that Paul turns to one of the most unlikely sources of motivation. He says, you're a slave. Seven times in this passage, Paul refers to you as a slave. Now, I want to help you out this evening. When the Bible often speaks about slavery, it is not referring to the antebellum Southern American state's version of slavery. When young African men and women were kidnapped and then sold on the auction block, and let's clear something up right now this evening, the Bible condemns this in the most explicit of terms. Your pastor, as I understand, is going through the book of Exodus. You will find out in a few chapters in Exodus 20 that man-stealing is absolutely condemned in the Bible. But when Paul is referring to slavery in the New Testament, he is referring to the practice, most commonly practiced, I should say, in ancient Rome, called indentured servitude. Indentured servitude, which was a voluntary selling of yourself to be a servant of a master. They estimate that 10 to 30 percent of the Roman civilization were slaves in a manner somewhat similar to this. This was, this indentured servitude included a voluntary selling of yourself, a selling of your work to a master for a better life. The master would provide food, protection, shelter, education, But in exchange, the slave or the servant would give total devotion to their master. That's the exchange. So when Paul uses the word slave, this is how we should think of it. As people who are entirely devoted to their master's call. This is why Paul uses this analogy. Because every single person in this room is a slave to something. Every single one of us hears the call of a master and obeys. And the first thing Paul says that we can become a slave of is sin. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death? And we all know what Paul is talking about this evening sin has a tendency to enslave us maybe the first time a child lies he or she may be horrified the second time they're somewhat shaken and the third time the lying becomes natural it becomes easy it becomes part of us and so it is with many other sins when we live in sin, we become enslaved to it. Even Jesus taught us this in John 8: everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. John 8:34. Everyone has a master, everyone devotes themselves to something. Everyone devotes themselves to someone, a cause, or a goal, and we obey it, we take direction from it. Let's be clear. If a man is not devoted to God, he is always devoted to something else that will become his God. I like the way one commentator put it, whatever controls your life is your Lord. So what's the Lord of your life this evening? Are we enslaving ourselves to our reputation? and live in service of it and become angry when someone damages it? Do we enslave ourselves with our lust for power? Do we enslave ourselves with the pride of family? Have we become slaves of knowledge of work, success, beauty, romance, love, or sports? When we give total devotion to things of this nature, they master us. The question of Romans 15 is not... Do you serve? But whom do you serve? You can either serve the created, or you can serve the creator. That's the second option. We can be slaves to God. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, look at the end of the verse, which leads to righteousness. Congregation, Paul is making a stupefying point here this evening. We are released from slavery to be enslaved again. Are you catching that, what Paul is saying? It's not that we've been released from Satan and sin. And death, so that we can do what we want, so that we can be a free agent, we have been released from slavery for slavery. Freed from slavery, from sin, death, and hell to become God's slave. But not in the same sense as those enslaved. In sin, right? We learned this morning that Satan is a brutal taskmaster. Remember, Satan doesn't care about your health. Satan doesn't care about your family. Satan doesn't care about your job or your church. He is happy to destroy you. Happy to beat you. Happy to make your life miserable. But to be a slave of righteousness is to be a slave of the Master who loves you. Who would love you so much to go even into the slave pit? To take you up from out of there? To even to the point of bringing you into His home, giving you a seat at His table? Paul tells us He makes us a son or a daughter and even clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. Christ. This is the motivation to serve God. Not that I'm afraid of Him or His law or His hell. The motivation to serve God is that He loves me. He's a good master. He treats me well. From a slavery to sonship. I am His son or His daughter. Boys and girls, why do you obey your parents? Is it only because you're afraid of a spanking or a stern word? Or do you also obey them because you love them? And you want to please your loving parents? That's what Paul's getting at. Serve from a place of love. Now, young people, a word of application. Remember that sin tempts us by saying, come and enjoy sin for a moment. See if you like it, and if you don't like it, you can just let it go. But sin's aim is to keep you in its chains. Sin will hold on to you for the rest of your life. It does not want you for a moment. It wants you every day. Beware of the lies of sin. And let us not forget, congregation, that sin can also enslave us to good things things. What is Lord over our lives is not always necessarily evil. We can begin to bow down and worship something that is a good thing, but in the wrong place. Countless people are slaves to work, family, even labor in the Lord's vineyard can become an idol. Remember what the catechism says, idolatry is putting anything alongside or in the place of God. Don't let anything else reign on the throne of your heart. As we come into our second point, a new master, I want to use a modern analogy this evening. I love baseball. And I'm a fan of the Toronto Blue Jays, so I don't want to hear anything about the Detroit Tigers. But in modern sports, when a player gets drafted and he plays his initial years, he becomes what's called a free agent. Free to sign with a new team. And the player's goal, once he becomes a free agent, is not to play for no one. He doesn't want to go back to the softball fields. But he wants to play for a better team that has better coaches and, of course, a higher salary. In a similar way, Christians are freed from sin, but we don't want to be free to follow ourselves or free to follow someone or free to do nothing. But to continue the analogy, we're free to join God's team, to serve a new master. But I want you to notice this evening how we are set free. We are not set free because we are our own boss. Not because we have served our time, but look at what verse 17 says. But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Notice who sets you free. God is the one who frees the sinner from bondage. And that term, thanks be to God, is actually a common phrase used by the apostle Paul. And it speaks to the reversal of a desperate situation. We'll see it just one chapter over in Romans chapter 7 verse 24, Paul says, "O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death?" It's a desperate, hopeless situation, then he says, "Thanks be to God." God reversed His situation. He uses it also in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, and 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. And it's used in the same sense here. That Paul is a slave to sin. And he, God, reversed his desperate situation. During my studies, one of the things I came across was how slaves were sold. In the Roman Empire, as I mentioned, there were many hundreds of thousands of slaves. And it was a common thing in those ancient days where somebody was a slave, they would be sold to a new master. The way that they would do this is they would march all these slaves out into the middle of a field. They would put a post in the middle of the field, an auction for slaves, and those slaves would stand there stark naked before the examiner so they could examine them. The only thing that they would have on around their necks would be a piece of paper which listed their attributes. What they were good at. What value they could bring to the new master. Paul is giving us this beautiful picture. As if God has walked into the auction block. And he has seen slaves who are bound in their sin. And what was written around our neck was Adam's disobedience. Our failure to obey the law. We were shackled and bound, destined to a life of serving sin. But God reverses the situation by purchasing us. But thanks be to God. He is the one who set the prisoners free. And He does not purchase us with gold or silver. He doesn't purchase us with American dollars. For these things could not redeem sinners such as us. We were bought with a price, but the payment demanded was the very blood of the Son of God. The Apostle Peter says, You were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God has brought liberty to those who were once slaves of sin through the blood of Emmanuel's lamb. And how far does God's grace go? Look what Paul says. It goes all the way to the heart. Remember that the heart is a Hebraism for the center of men and women. That God doesn't just change our geographic location. He changes us to the depths of who we are. Think of the incredible power of sin. How it can so quickly become second nature. Paul says when you are changed, you are changed to the bottom, changed to the heart. Do you want this freedom? Are you sick of your sins? Are you sick of your workhol- workaholism that neglects God and His righteousness? Are you sick of your anger that destroys? Sick of your sexuality that doesn't fulfill? Sick of laziness? Sick of vanity and comparing yourselves to others? How do we get this gospel freedom? Look what Paul says. Obedience from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That's the gospel. That's the standard. The gospel is the power that can break the power of sin. It can set the captives free. In His Son, the Gospel is the teaching that was committed to them. Sin condemns. Sin destroys. Sin holds us in its sway. But those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. But why did God save you this evening? Why did He set you free? Let it be known that we are saved we are freed by God to serve God. We'll sing in just a few moments a classic hymn, And Can It Be? Where Charles Wesley says, Wesley says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin in nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. Then what does Wesley say next? I rose, I went forth, and I followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head. See, cultural freedom means the freedom to do whatever you want, but Paul's concept is startling. To be free in Christ is to be enslaved again. And having been set free, Paul says, and have become slaves of righteousness. For the believer, freedom is not laziness. We are not free to sin lustfully, wholeheartedly, but we are free to render service to God. And those who enter the service of righteousness enjoy true liberty. Namely, freedom from sin. Paul goes on in verse 19, I speak in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness. Leading to sanctification. He's being very clear here you have been transferred by faith to a new master. It's a frequent occurrence in the ancient world that somebody would be transferred from one master to another and that the total commitment that they gave to their, master, their prior master is now transferred to a new master. But there is a totally new dynamic here. When sin was your master, it threatened, it beat, it forced you, to serve it. But if you come back to the question of verse 15, what motivates us to serve our God? God does not motivate us with beatings or tongue lashings or any brutality. The motivation to serve our God is the love of God poured out in the cross. Paul says we should want to serve our master because he loved us so much that he was willing to die for a slave of sin like me. So what is the motivation for holiness? God loves me. Satan tempts us with sin. Get behind me, Satan. God loves me. Parents, use this with your children. When they're struggling with sin, don't just beat them over the head with the law, but remind them that God loves them and died for them so that they wouldn't be bound to that sin anymore. This is the power of the Gospel that Jesus loves sinners so much that He would be willing to die for them. We've been given a new Master. And we should be glad to serve him. Well, third and finally, we want to see this evening, the slaves' wages. Now, slaves in the ancient world were actually paid wages. So much so that if they wanted to, they could even purchase their freedom from slavery after a time. Now, before we conclude chapter 6, Paul wants us to consider the wages of being a slave to sin or a slave to God. He says, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. There are two options. You're either a slave to sin, or you are a slave to righteousness. You cannot be neither, and you cannot be both. It is one or the other. No one can serve two masters. So notice with me the fruit of sin. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Now, fruit just means benefit. And I think this is a very pastoral moment for Paul here. It's like he pulls up a chair beside you and says, what did sin really get you in life? What good did it give you? Boys and girls, we need to... Meditate on this for a moment because sin can bring pleasure for a season, a moment, but its chief fruit, Paul says, is shame. That's what we get out of sin. When we do something we shouldn't, look at something we shouldn't, we feel shame. And the problem with shame is that it leads to remorse, it leads to regret. But it doesn't lead to repentance. When we feel ashamed, we turn inward. Shame leads to self-pity, a victimhood mentality, blame shifting. This is what we get when we serve sin. And then jump down to verse 23 with me, where Paul continues, The wages of sin is death. Wages would have been what they, these slaves would have got for their daily allowance for food and necessities. Masters would give their slaves wages. Commanders would give them to soldiers to sustain their lives. But here Paul is reversing the image. Sin doesn't sustain life. It ends it. It would be like Paul saying, your daily allowance was death. If sin is your master, the wages paid is death. Physical death, yes, but more importantly, spiritual death. Everlasting death. But now, look at what the servant of God receives. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. If God is your master, we don't get what we owe because he doesn't owe us anything. But we get a free gift. Verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life. What we get for being God's slaves is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a marvelous climax. What a comforting truth. That the sinner who has fled to God in Christ receives the most for the least. Life everlasting for nothing. Sin brings death, but God gives life. Life. God does not pay wages because no man is his debtor, but the free gift is nothing less than eternal life. Life everlasting. Fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The love of God that transcends all understanding. This is what you get, Paul says. In Christ Jesus the Lord. Forever. Forever and ever, and ever. Congregation, when we've been there 10,000 years, not an hour will be spent. We will not be one second closer to the end of eternal life, and what a life it will be to be forever with the Lord, without tears, without pain, without loss, enjoying Him and the presence of Jesus. We will be with Him forever. Who is your master? What controls you is Lord over you. Let Christ shape your life. We belong to Him. So let us dedicate to Him the full measure of devotion. We face temptations. As Christians, we will even succumb on occasion. But we are slaves no more to sin. Liberated from sin. So that we can serve our new and better master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though we are your servants, your humble servants, that you have been pleased to go into the slave pit to pull us up from out of there in our own sinfulness and to bring us into your house, to seat us at at your table as sons and daughters of this great Father. And we pray, Lord, that this would be the reality for each and every one of us in this room. That if there are those of us who have not yet received that free gift, we pray, merciful God, that you would bring them to that place by the power of your Spirit, that they might fall on their knees rejecting sin and again embracing Christ. Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life, which is ours, not because we are worthy, but because you have loved us with an everlasting love. To this we rejoice this evening and we pray in jesus name amen well our hymn of response from the trinity psalter hymnal is going to be and can it be that i should gain we'll sing hymn number 431 from the trinity psalter hymnal This evening is for the Christian Education Fund. Would you please bow your heads with me as we ask for God's blessing upon our offering? Father, we give you thanks for the freedom we have in our land and in our state to educate our tr- children according to the moral principles of your word and according to the core values of the Christian faith. And as we give of this offering, we pray, Lord, that you would bless the children of this congregation and of our Christian schools, our homeschoolers as well. Give the teachers and parents strength to raise these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And may you be pleased uh, to receive this offering as a gift of worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And as our deacons are collecting our offering, we'll sing, I Love the Lord, the Fount of Life, from the Psalter Hymnal, number 228. We'll begin with stanza three. We'll sing stanzas three, eight, and nine of number 228. up your hearts this evening and receive God's parting benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.